And welcome to the Druck Report. This is John Druckenmiller of HometownHeadlines.com and the Hometown Podcast Network. Thanking you for joining us today. As always, we're coming to you almost live from the studios of Brand Red Studios over on 4 Bale Street. Once again, Todd Labard is doing a masterful job of making us all sound good. Trust me, I need it. Our next guest does not. He always sounds good. And he is now four meetings in veteran city commissioner mark cochran (laughs) good morning sir that still sounds weird but thank you thank you it's good to be here hometown podcast i like that hometown podcast network we're trying to grow things a little bit and we're just trying to not just what we do here in the newscast uh we put up one for jay shell a little bit ago uh but his first his first shot at podcast he wants to see how those things work out. Then he will probably brand himself and something else. So and we're going to bring in a few other ones. We did something with the weather last week that had a very, very strong response. So not, not, not just hearing me blather. And thank God people like y'all making us sound more important. But also bringing some other voices in there too. So we're going to steal some. If anybody out there is a fan of Dan Lebertard, uh, Lebertard and uh, Stu Gotts on ESPN, we're kind of stealing some of what they do. Hey, the Lebertard and Friends Network. So. As the old saying in architecture goes, uh, good people are unique, great people steal. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's, that's the secret of journalism. Well, thank you for being here. Of all things, Mark, I know you've had a very busy first uh, almost month and almost two months in office now. Y'all had a great retreat. We had Wendy and Craig in here recently talking about y'all's city commissioner retreat. Before we get into what we're going to talk about, which is about the retreat, Let's talk about your take on the retreat. Sure. What well, make, make this part two to our last podcast? Right. No, and I listened to that podcast, and it was great. They both did. They both did a great job. And some people might be familiar with my face, Facebook post on it, which said, you know, it's uh, might have been the most important meeting in a generation that the city of Rome has. And the reason I said that is because it seems as though the city leaders actually changed the way that they're starting to think. And you can't you can't make anything different unless you change the way you think about things. And so it seemed as though we went from stability is good to growth is super important in in a day. And so it all kind of started off with a discussion of the ULDC in the morning. And of course, the county was there, as, as you said. And my whole take on it was philosophically, the idea behind the ULDC was an anti-growth document. And it's the truth. It came out of the 90s and the philosophy of the 1990s as far as land development goes is, oh, crap, we've got all this growth going on. We don't know how to stop it. So we're going to make it really, really difficult for developers and contractors and engineers and architects to get or build anything. And that document, our current land development document, was born out of that thought process. And we've had it now for 19 years. And to be fair, it's a hard document to read. It's dense. It's 307 pages long. Oh, Lord. And in the nine bullet points of the reason for the document to exist, not a single one of them mentions growth. And so it's it's an anti-growth document that nobody really understood was anti-growth until it was pointed out that, hey, this is to, <laughs> this is document is designed to not to, to keep people from growing. So uh, so yeah, we've had an anti growth document in place for 19 years. Yeah, you know it's funny. You've, I think you mentioned this before. Others have as well. This uh, the whole thing was drafted basically out of Gwinnett and Cobb County because yep. of the growth surge. As somebody who lived in Cobb County for five years before moving up here, let me tell you. It did not work down there. I mean, <laughs> yeah, a yeah, point in order, yeah. the east-west connector, which we lived off of when we were living in Mableton, was designed to relieve traffic and get people to 2- 2i-285 quicker. Let me tell you, they have developed every square 
inch of the east-west connect to a point where it's worse than when it was. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The, the documents like that, of course, you know, it, hindsight's twenty twenty, but they don't work by their very nature because you can ask for variance on things. And the other big part of it was it was intended to shift the burden of cost that cities had taken for forever. In other words, cities always paid for sidewalks. They always paid for curb and gutter. They always paid for roads, utilities, water, storm sewer, you name it. All of that cost was shifted off to the developers. And of course, what are developers going to do? Well, they're going to try to maximize their dollar as they should, you know, private industry, yay, capitalism. Um, they're going to go and ask for variance and saying, you know, do I really have to do the sidewalk? Do I really have to do this landscape strip? And so you have this discombobbled uh, area that, you know, supposedly land development code was supposed to fix, and it never did. I mean, it, it even went to the point in some places in Georgia where the developers were having to build brand new schools. Oh, wow. Yeah, they were having to foot the cost of brand new schools in addition to all the sidewalks and infrastructure that went along with it. So it was it was nuts for a while. Fortunately, over, say, the last 15 years or so, we've kind of gone for the urban renewal kind of thing. And granted, it's got its problems, too. But, you know, density in that scenario is king. And the ULDC is anything but density. Wow. Well, now, of course, that is going to be addressed. You saw a good Hopefully, reaction from the yes. county, good reaction yeah. from the city. So. Yeah. We're still not sure exactly how it's going to be addressed, and hopefully we'll get into that in the next couple of weeks. But if we do it right, we can have a brand-new document by the end of the year, I think. Good, good, good. Well, of course, here everybody goes, gee, you know, do we want growth? Actually, yes, we do want yeah, growth. Yeah, we, we need it, yes. What are we growing at? I mean, it's 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 under 1% in some averages in the last three or four years. Yeah, you know, it's. Um, I think the last time I checked – one per one point eight percent over the last ten years. Wow, that's and, a, you know look at look at uh, every the state of Georgia has almost doubled their population in the last twenty years, and Rome has grown by three percent. Isn't it amazing? Then you look next to Bartow County and Gordon County. Of course, I understand the I seventy five quarter, but sure. yeah, look down at Paulding County and now what's happening in Polk County as well. Right. And I mean, we're being left behind. Yeah, for sure, for sure. You know if. If we were if we were growing like crazy, you know, and the infrastructure was was uh, at capacity and so on and so forth, and we had a need to stop growth, then sure, I mean, the ULDC would be great. But I don't think anybody in their right mind says that you know Rome needs to stop this rapid expansion of growth because if you drive through Atlanta or any other decent sized city right now, you can't sling a cat without hitting a crane, and I don't yep. see any cranes in Rome. There's, well, good you know, point. I mean, there's, it's just not happening. Well, what brings me to the next point? This is going to be just we're going to go off track here, but thank God, Mark's one of those kind of guys you can do that with. <laughs> um, so, why the heck are we suddenly looking at a housing crisis where we have a panel convened last Thursday, which I got blasted for not attending that panel? I'm sorry, but I don't see a housing crisis. It's interesting. There is there is a middle market housing need. So, like, if you go to the, t the upper end, like $750,000 house, you know, there's, there's very few of those in Rome. And when they come up, they take approximately eight months to sell. Anything over $400,000 takes about six months to sell. Anything two hundred dollars to $300,000 is gone in about less than two months. Anything in the one hundred fifty to $200,000 range, if you can find it, there's multiple offers on it within a day. Yep. So... The, the problem we're running into is the amount of housing that we have in that range. Uh, it's there and people are moving, but when it comes up, it goes so quickly that the demand is not being met. So typically what happens is you back that up with apartments. 
But the problem is we don't have enough apartments. And so we have this range of, of income, say people who are making $35,000 a year, a brand new teacher mm-hmm. or somebody yeah, just point. out of college or say two teachers who are married, like, okay, so combine their income, $70,000, $75,000 a year. They can afford somewhere around a $200,000 house-ish and below, the, the married couple. A single, a single teacher, a single mother, you know, maybe 150, maybe 140. You know, if you apply the third rule, you know, 33% of income on utilities, insurance, taxes, so on and so forth. The underlying problem to that is we can't force developers to build anything. Thank goodness, right? Uh, we shouldn't. But when they go and they develop, say, a new subdivision or take an existing piece of land that has utilities around it but no road into it, the amount of money that it takes for a developer to take a a green pasture and turn it into a lot is around $40,000 a lot. Okay. The cost to build a spec house right now, just, you know, not a low-end spec house, but certainly not an upper-end spec house, Mm -hmm. just a starter home spec house. Three, two, two two-car garage. Yeah, one twenty, hundred twenty-five dollars a square foot. Okay. So by the time you pay forty thousand dollars for a lot, and you spend the remaining a hundred thousand dollars you have to build the house, you get maybe what a seven hundred fifty, eight hundred square foot house for one hundred and fifty thousand mm-hmm. dollars, and no bank in their right mind is going to appraise an eight hundred square foot house for one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. So we're in this loop where um, it's just a death spiral where we can't get people to develop land because it's too expensive, because the developers have to pay for the sidewalks, the curb, the gutter, the road, the infrastructure, the utilities, stormwater, and the builder comes in right behind them, or sometimes they're the same people, and you know they can't, they can't give a square footage enough on the house to sell it at a reasonable price where they can recoup their money. So what you're seeing is the only things that are being developed in, in subdivisions, and I've got an interesting story to tack on this in just a second, is their upper end house is $250,000, $300,000 because they can absorb roughly 10 to 15% of the cost of the land for a house. But when you make the cost of the land a third of the cost of the house itself, it becomes unsustainable. But now I've, I've heard rumors that um, people are looking at kind of increasing the number of lots in some of the other upper end neighborhoods that we have around town, and it's too expensive for them oh, wow. to go forward with it. So we're, in a, we're, in, we're just about in a death spiral with it. So that's what the, – the housing, the housing summit was good. There were some good lessons that came out of it. But the ultimate thing that we're going to have to combat in the end is – Do we want growth? I think everybody says yes. How do we tackle that growth? Well, in theory, you leave it up to the private private sector. If the private sector is unwilling to do it because they can't make money at it, then is it time for the, you know, the government to step in and help? Or a public-private Or a public-private partnership, yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, certainly the government does not need to get into the business of building houses. We have no business doing that. But for years... We were in the business of paving roads and building sidewalks and, you know, doing storm sewer and, and water. And that has a cost to it. And, you know, are, do we need to do that? Well, do we want to grow? It's it's a chicken and an egg. And, 
you either do the chicken or you do the egg. And if you don't do either one, then you don't get, uh, you know, you don't get fried chicken and omelets. Mm-hmm. You just Good get point. stuck with an empty plate. So. Which, which is odd, though, because I, I consider Roman Floyd County to be the most under-sidewalk community I've ever lived in. Yes. This is not Mayberry. We don't walk down, because I mean, where I live at, which is an Alpha Chulio, nice subdivision, there's no sidewalks there. Right. And we're full of kids. Sure. I'm kind of like, why aren't there sidewalks there? And you talk about, you know, shared development. My water meter is in my neighbor's yard because the developer wanted to save a few bucks by instead of doing two of them. When we had a leak and I had to find it, I couldn't find it. I'm kind of like, where is it, our thing? <laughs> and to go next door, and there's his, and there, now it's hers and mine, you back are kind of on top of each other. Sure. So it's kind of, you kind of like scratch your head. Saying, but I'm glad to hear there are some hope for sidewalks out there because outside of a few locations, you don't have them. But before we leave, leave this topic, and we'll get to your sidebar you mentioned a second sure. ago, is this where we want economic development put in its hands? No, in my opinion, no, no. That's what gets no. me. Mike. That's why you broke out. I mean, we had we've had people tell us that you know the reason we broke up the chamber in economic development because we wanted somebody 100 percent focused on chamber relations, 100 percent focused on economic development. So here we are. Okay, you're now you got this this you know the separation of church and state, so to speak. Oh, by the way, now we're going to go out and tackle housing first. I'm like. No, your job is to create the demand on housing. Y'all focus on new jobs and new industry. We don't need that economic development not getting their hands out. You look at that, and that's why I kind of scratch my head like, why are y'all doing this? Why are you adding new burdens when you just, quote, broke free to stress this, to focus on something else? I don't get it. Well, in the city housing needs are handled differently than the county housing needs. So the housing summit that Georgia Power, that the, the Economic Development Authority brought, was good and, and as far as a broad topic goes, but the truth is the city and the county handle housing differently, and they should. You know, if you go out to the county, people are like, I don't want sidewalks. You know, tax dollars, I don't want to spend my tax dollars on sidewalks. I don't want to spend my tax dollars on, give me the lowest amount of tax dollars possible. Yeah, good point. And the city, you know, city residents typically demand more. They want sidewalks. They want walkability. They want infrastructure. They want things like that. So just the the... The hymnal that the the county sings off of as far as housing in the city, we're singing off different hymnals, but we want the same thing in the end. We want housing. How you get there is completely different. So as a broad overall topic, yeah, the the housing authority was good or the housing develop, the housing topic was good. Thank you. But uh, the economic development authority, it's it's misplaced in my opinion, to put it there. Yeah, there's there's others. you know, and whether it's got to be city, county government sure, or whatever yeah. it is, let some other realtors group, whatever it is, let them focus on that. I want, you know, okay, we're going to make this new super, you know, we've done this to streamline and energize and bring in and we're stagnant. So let's bring in, okay, that's great. Then go do it. Right. Don't bring right. in some other hassles. Let that, you know, and you may hear from developers, there's nowhere to live. We can't bring our workers in here. Let, let somebody else handle that. Let's go ahead and let's get that where it should be. If, it's, if it needs to be a housing crunch, go ahead and do it. Economic development, I want to see those new people coming in here, whether it's major league economic development. As you said, whether it's somebody who doesn't need interstate transport for that's different right. products that's exactly and right. tech kind of stuff. So yeah, and that's what I was about to say. Is let's econ- go to, we'll go right e- to your side. Yeah, like so, it. yeah, economic development to, to the city, and I said this when I was running, and I still absolutely believe it 100%, economic development to the city should look completely different than heavy industry. You know, we, we have to diversify ourselves. If we don't diversify, then we're going to keep on getting what we've already got. 
And, you know, we're not getting any closer to the interstate. I've made I've made the argument before that the more Cartersville develops technically, the farther away we're getting because the traffic counts get higher in Cartersville and it takes longer to get through it. So, you know, what takes 27 minutes to get to today will take 35 to get to five years from now after Cartersville and Bartow County keep on growing. So what the city of Rome could possibly have is an excellent quality of life as far as things to do. And along with an excellent quality of life come benefits, as in it's easier to attract young people. It's easier to get technology. It's easier to get a wide array of things that don't have to um, that don't have to be shipped. They're not widgets, and not that there's anything wrong with widgets. You know, America's was built on the back of manufacturing in a lot of ways, and widgets are super important, and we need them. But you know, it's a different world. The iPhone's ten years old. Wow. 10 yeah, years funny. old. It's it's bizarre, right? Nobody nobody remembers. It's, it's 10 years old. Think how much the world has changed in 10 years. And, and our land development code hasn't changed in 19. <laughs> so, you know, we're, no. we're, we're behind the eight ball here in a lot of ways. And, you know, it's, um, it's unfortunate. But, but going back to the planning retreat, the thing that was so phenomenal about it was it seemed as though when we left, and I can't speak for the other eight, but it seemed from my point of view that all nine commissioners were, okay, we see this problem. Stability is good. Growth is better. We need to focus on growth at what at whatever it takes to get us to start growing. And that was the, you know, that's a mind shift. Um, Bonnie Askew <laughs> wrote, wrote, to, wrote a little note to me, and he said, philosophy dictates direction. Hmm. And it's true. So if our philosophy shifted overnight from stability to growth, it's going to dictate our direction. It's going to dictate where we go, how we think, what we do. It's going to color everything that we see. And so if, if all of a sudden everything is pro-growth, it changes everything from the development code to the tax base, to the way that we prioritize certain things, it's it's a new day. It's a new day. And so we'll see what comes out of it. I'm really hopeful about it. No, that whole thing we talked about, again, you know, last time with Wendy and Craig, we're talking more about right now with Mark Cochran about the city commission retreat and some of the takeaways in that, including uh, even an, an enhanced, what I'm hearing, an enhanced cooperative spirit with the uh, county commission there. As a good friend of ours always says, Good stuff, that. Good stuff, that, absolutely. We'll talk more about good stuff. Mark Cochran's here. We'll take a break on it right now, come back and talk about one of the big topics that came out of, and actually part of your campaign, too, but came out of that end of retreat, uh, Riverwalk, maybe some more uh, West 3rd River District stuff as well. You are listening to the Direct Report podcast from hometownheadlines.com and the Hometown Podcast Network. I got it right twice in a row. (laughs) More after this break. Come on back. I'm Ryan Simmons, Creative Director at Brand Red. We're honored to sponsor today's episode. If you're looking to grow your business, we help companies just like yours reach new customers. Contact us by visiting our website at brandredstudios.com or emailing us at info at brandredstudios.com.
And welcome back to the Druck Report. It's John Druckermiller with you from HometownHeadlines.com. Can we do it three times in a row in the Hometown Podcast Network? Thank you again for joining <laughs> us. We are again coming to you almost live from the studios of Brand Red. Todd Labarge, once again, doing a great job keeping us up Yay, to date. On this job. And, of course, that voice back there, I think you are now our most, because of this appearance, it's kind of like five timers on Saturday night. Right, Live. right. I I'm Alec Baldwin. Just I, I don't I want to be Alec Baldwin. Baldwin. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think yeah, you're yeah. just not leaped ahead of Jay Jay Shaw being here. We have Mark Cochran here talking about what's going on with City Commission, the City of Rome, all kind of affairs out there. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about what's going on now about uh, the River Walk. One of the one of the planks you talked about in your campaign. I remember that fact. I remember one of the videos when you had walking along the river, as a matter of fact. And um, what came out of the retreat, what you and some of your fellow commissioners, maybe all of them, feel about Riverwalk. Uh, last week, Wendy and Craig did a nice job kind of prefacing that a little bit. Sure. Let's go a little bit deeper. What, what's Riverwalk's just not a sidewalk. This is a whole no, lot more than that. No, no. Riverwalk is not a sidewalk. Riverwalk, and my, my whole premise behind it is you, you, cannot, you cannot appreciate or respect what you don't interact with. And so it, there's hardly anywhere to interact with the water. Yep. You know, we drive by the rivers, we drive over the rivers, we, we look at the rivers from a distance, but there's nowhere to really go and touch the water. So, you, you know, we just, in a lot of ways, it, it's gotten a lot better, but we still, as, as a community, probably don't respect the rivers the yep. way we need to. And that's, that's not a slight against the community. It's, you can't blame them because they can't get to them. Well, that's a good point. Right? It's like uh, I used to walk into my grandmother's house, and I think everybody's grandmother probably had this. They had the couch with the, the plastic sleeve covers over it. You know? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You don't go in that room, and you don't sit on that couch. That's for like if, uh, you know, if the president or the pope ever comes and visits, yeah. then, then you can use that room. Yeah, Otherwise, it's – Right, right. It's a museum in there. Yeah. Right. So uh, that's kind of how we look at the rivers. The um, – we respect them. We name all kinds of things after them. If you say, somebody says, hey, what's famous about Rome? You say Seven Hills and Three Rivers, right? But, you know, we... Uh, oh, by the way, where are the Three Rivers at? We, we can't find them. Right, right. Yeah. right. So uh, it's, it's it's fun to, to think about it and joke about it. But in all seriousness, it's a huge asset. And so many other cities have capitalized on the asset. If you say San Antonio, two things come to mind, the Alamo and the Riverwalk. Exactly. You know, it's... Um, Chicago is getting world renowned now for their river walk. I mean, I don't know if if, uh, if if the listeners have ever been to Chicago lately in the past, I think they finished theirs five, six years ago. If you go to Chicago and you have not been to the river walk, you've missed at least half of the beauty of the city. Go see the river walk. Can you go there after the Cubs game? Or yeah. Before, or yeah before, well, or I mean, yeah. it depends on whether or not you, you, yeah, <laughs> you, like a, you have a winning season or not, I guess. Holy to God. drown your sorrows. But, um, but no, the... You know, Columbus, Columbus, Georgia, Greenville, Greenville South, Greenville, Greenville, South Carolina, Chattanooga. Right there yep. was a there was an article in Worth magazine where they were interviewing the current mayor of Chattanooga, and they said, you know, wow, this is amazing. How did you know? Where did it start? And he said, well, it started with the idea of of cleaning up everything, you know, because Chattanooga rivers were toxic. Rivers were toxic. And Chattanooga in the 60s, late 60s, I think, was the most polluted city in America. And they said, but the idea of getting people to interact with the river and respecting what you can't interact with, right, starts at the river and it works its way back. And so his point was the river walk is the anchor that basically everything in Chattanooga currently is built off of. But the interesting thing about Rome versus most everywhere else that you think about, with the exception of Greenville, is our river is not very wide. 
Like you go to you go up to Chattanooga, the Tennessee River's huge, right? Um, so there's there's almost a disconnect in how large it is. Or you go to Columbus, they only have one side of the river. Alabama's on the other side, mm-hmm. right? So there's there's all the all these situations that you can think of where there's really only one good side of the river that most cities use. Rome has the opportunity to have the whole sandwich, as I like to say. So you got a slice of bread over on Broad Street. Yep. You got a slice of bread over in the River District. And the water in the middle is just like the jelly and the peanut butter, right? So we've got the whole sandwich. We can develop both sides. We can make it absolutely fantastic. That in and of itself could be a tourism traction. And tourism dollars are the cleanest dollars in far, as far as economic development goes. Most but, important question, though. Yeah. That peanut butter. Yeah, it's peanut butter. Smooth or crunchy? Uh, I prefer crunchy. Okay. I prefer crunchy. crunchy. Right, so. <laughs> With all the logs in the river, we'll we can say it's crunchy. We'll put that on a pole later on, maybe. But, but seriously, good. That's a great analogy. Yeah, yeah. We got both sides of the bread, and we got stuff in the middle. Now, yeah. what do we? What kind of bread we're going to use? Well, it's interesting. I'm, I'm not. My opinion of it is, it needs to be. It needs to be similar to Chicago's Riverwalk in that the way Chicago's Riverwalk is constructed is really unique and important ecologically speaking. Most times, when you go see a Riverwalk, they build a large retaining wall that goes down the edge of the riverbank and kind of they shove some dirt up against it. Ecologically, that's not friendly, right? So there's there's a whole bunch of problems with that. But what Chicago did was imagine that they sunk a column, big concrete column, about six feet from the bank of the river. Okay. And then imagine if you've ever been in a football stadium or, or you know, baseball stadium that's built out of concrete, you see the stadium steps above you that kind of come out and they're cantilevered out. Yep. And the steps themselves are cantilevered out off of one big column. That's how Chicago built their Riverwalk. They sunk a column out in the river. They didn't mess with any any part of the bank. And then they, they cantilevered out steps that okay. actually touched the water. The two good things about that, number one, ecologically, you don't mess with the bank. Number two, you can build as many steps as you need to so when the river fluctuates, yep. you can still get to the water. So Chicago's steps, you know, granted their water doesn't fluctuate near as much as ours, but still, I mean, it can fluctuate three or four feet and it's still attractive. And you can still access the water. So we'll have to do that to a certain extent in a, in a different way, but to a certain extent, they've laid out a, a fantastic model for us. Do we have opportunities on both sides? Let's face it. I mean, yes. So someone had the wisdom of building a parking lot facing the river. When they built that out here, <laughs> I still kind of scratch. Like you were putting a parking lot along the river. River, the most prime property we have. But okay, put a parking lot there. Um, but I mean, much of the side, much of the Broad Street side, let's say, is developed or close to it. Other side, you know, other than um, you know what we're seeing with the courtyard, which is beautiful. Sure. And, you know, a lot, and we'll talk about some other opportunities over there as well. But you think we still have opportunities on both sides? Absolutely, Good. absolutely on both sides. It, you know, the the unique thing about the Broad Street side is the Army Corps, rightfully so, is very particular about the levees because if the levee fails, then oh, <laughs> a whole Surf's bunch of like, bad stuff yep. happens, mm-hmm. right? Ask New Orleans. But on the other side, it's not a levee. You know, it's just, it's the natural earthen berm. That's a good point. Right? So while the Army Corps would certainly have a a play on that side, they're not as concerned because it's not a levy. So we probably actually have even a little more latitude on the Broad Street side than we do on the levy side. Okay. So absolutely both sides can be developed. And yeah, it's going to be expensive. Um, 
and yeah, we're going to have to figure out how to pay for it. And I, oh, I we heard that word last yeah, week. It's yeah, and it's fair. It's yeah. a fair question. I don't know how to pay for it, um, qu- quite frankly, because I haven't had a chance to dig into the finances yet and, and all kinds of stuff, which I absolutely plan on doing. But an interesting thing happened yesterday. Uh, bonds got even cheaper, which they're so close to negative right now. I'm, I've been I've talked to a friend who's a whiz at financial stuff, and he says in theory they could go negative. It's amazing to me even think of that. But it was I believe it was 0.5 percent for a two year a two wow. year Muni bond. That's it's close to free. I didn't know it really. Right. Is. So if you're going to do anything big infrastructure wise, you need to do it now. Because the cost of construction is not getting any cheaper, and the cost of money, unless rates go negative, will honestly never be any cheaper either. Well, I believe that. Yeah. So you know, if if we that's why that's why now is so important, because we almost have the perfect recipe. We have tax revenues are up, municipal bonds are down, right, and the cost of construction is getting significantly more expensive. Every year you wait approximately six to twelve percent. So if you take the average of nine wow. percent, what cost a million dollars today, next year at the same time will cost you know one point one. Yeah. So wow. and that but compounds move, that compounds too. So yeah. it's crazy. Of course, uh, we're we guys kidding around with Wendy and Craig last week and kind of said, "Gee, we're looking at splost whatever it is coming up here," and it was kind of like mm, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe it's uh, you know, if you if you can't tie it to revenue, a revenue bond, and you have to go out and you have to vote on a general obligation bond that has to go in front of the the public so they yep. can vote on it. So that's one thing that um, you know I've I've thought about and considered and, and discussed it with people, and I'm not sure that's the direction we need to go. I think we just need to study it first. Yep. And it sounded like most every commissioner there was was good with throwing some money towards studying a river walk and seeing exactly what we could get out of it. What can and it's funny because I'm one of the I'm a landmark person and I'm a uh, uh, I guess I got to see a, a building there whatever it is. What do you see on a river walk that would really you know open? I mean, other do we looking at looking at drive-in points, viewing points? Yes. Um, you know, kind of like, I don't want to say uh, strip malls, but like, you know, a series of like, you know, ice cream shops and bars and restaurants. What do you, what do you look, what do you, what do you kind of see as a, as a river walk? Sure. Component? So let me, let me paint a picture. Maybe that'll, maybe that'll help some. So imagine that you drive in the levee side um, where across from the Harbin Cancer Center and imagine that you want to set up a farmer's market. So imagine that <clears throat> you get there at seven o'clock in the morning and you can drive your truck all the way on the river walk, all the way down, and you exit out um, past on the other side of Fifth Avenue. The reason that you can do that is because the sidewalk that leads to the edge of the river is literally so wide that you can set up large tents for farmers markets, for arts and craft shows, for all kinds of things, for parades, for you name it, fireworks, which we used to have downtown before. Mm And along the way, as you as you drive in and you set up your tent and you leave, so imagine all of a sudden you have a hundred tents there for arts, crafts, farmers sure. markets, all kinds of stuff. Um, opportunities for commerce along the Riverwalk, beer fest. Imagine having beer fest yep. down through there for sure. So there's all kinds of opportunities to bring people to downtown. 
And the great thing about downtown is we produce more dollars per square foot in tax revenue than anywhere else in town. So the more people you bring downtown, the more tax revenue the city gets. Velocity of money. And the velocity of money is defined by how many times a dollar turns over in a given area. I love that term, velocity of money. Yeah, and it's so important because if we're having trouble bringing in outside industry, then the velocity of money becomes even more important. And so there's whole lots of things. There's lots of things tied to the velocity of money. Number one, you, it's best if you can get outside money in yep. and then keep that outside money inside the city of Rome. So anything that we can get tourism-wise brings in outside money. They spend that money locally. And the more opportunities people have to spend that money locally, the higher the velocity of money, which means that everybody in Rome gets an opportunity to have a chance at that dollar. Good ideas. So, you know, but having tourism and things to do here is super important. And, And so it just, it compounds upon itself, but you can't have it without having the affordable housing. You can't have it without having the millennials. You can't have it without having a dense urban core. You can't have it without having vision for what the next 20 years is going to bring. And you certainly can't have a vision for the next 20 years if we don't start now. And if we don't start now, it's going to be super expensive if we wait till later. That's one heck of a scenario there. Yeah. (laughs) So can we do this? I think we can. Good. I think we can. There's lots of details to work out. And nothing is ever, you know, it's a sausage, sausage factory, right? I mean, you you don't like making, you don't like seeing how it's made on the back end. You just like eating the final product, but it's, it's going to be messy. But, uh, you know, the other option is we just do nothing. And uh, I can't remember who said the quote, but uh, it's one of my favorite, oddly enough, says you don't get not to choose. You either choose, you know, you choose now or, and you pay the price now. Or, or you pay the price later, but you don't get not to pay the price. You have to pay the price. When are you going to do it? Right. Yeah. You pay it now, you pay it later. And if you look at the infrastructure in the city, the sidewalks, the roads, we've been choosing not to pay for the last 20 years. Yep. And this goes back to the ULDC. It's, ama- it's amazing how everything kind of circles back around. But we've been choosing not to pay for infrastructure for the last 20 years. Philosophically, what undergirded that was... If we pass this ULDC ordinance, the developers will fix the sidewalks, the developers will landscape their properties, the developers will make every wrong that the city has to endure as far as infrastructure goes, we'll put it on the private dollar and the private dollar will fix it. Well, Shorter Avenue is a testimony to that that's a bunch of crap. Yeah, it doesn't point. work. Yep. So, so we've got 20 years of infrastructure to make up. Yeah, good point. A lot ahead of us. Well, speaking of doing different things here, let's go ahead and maybe we'll kind of end this, uh, this, this today's broadcast at least with this one. Um, River District continues to be driving here this morning. Mr. Fool here, Mr. Drive-By Journalist. And I was telling you guys, yeah, I saw all these rezoning signs. Right, Not, right. I saw a couple of them in one area. I thought, man, someone this, this thing is picking them up. Man, what's going on? So I you know, pulled over to want to get a photo, not get arrested. Thank you very much. I don't need to have um, Denise down around me or anybody else. <laughs> And uh, I was taking, taking a, I said, wait a minute, there's more signs over there. Oh, yeah, it's the UMU, the, the whole right. new zoning thing for the River District. Um, since all this came up and since we did last week's podcast, there has been a revelation. I think most of us knew this was happening, but you know, we didn't report it, so shame on us. Wayne uh, Robinson has changed his plans. Mm-hmm. The district, which, by the way, was absolutely gorgeous. You, I know you, you had a big hand in that. 
Wayne is changing his plans. I know there's still some, you know, it's very fluid there, but I, what I read in the paper, at least, is that he's thinking, uh, maybe millennial housing is where we're going to go now. Right. So, so are there any generalities there? Yes. Yeah, so so um, more density is is the best way to put it. So what was going to be 65 units, roughly, is going to be, I, I'm not sure it's going to double, but it's probably going to be pretty close. Wow. So density density is the most important word when it comes to the river district, we have to have density. We have the land capacity over here to hold approximately a thousand units. Wow. Right. It, it seems, it seems improbable, but if you look at Woodstock as kind of a model, mm -hmm. they pulled off the similar density per acre that we need here and talking, going back to the velocity of money discussion, right? The more people you have living in a more densely packed area, the more likely you are to get more swift and finch type organic growth opportunities, right? Starbucks and those kind of in those kind of environments don't survive very well, but swift and finches thrive. And the reason why is there's social capital engines. You go to swift and finch, you see 10 people, you know, mm -hmm. right? Which means that nine of them you may have talked to on Facebook, but the one person that you, you haven't seen for a week catches you up on all kinds of stuff. So the more, you know, people, the more you talk, the stronger the community, the stronger the bond, the easier it is to fix things. And so density propels a lot of that. And so if we if we have density, then we fix a lot of it. Look, I mean, part of the problem that we have on Broad Street, and it's not a problem necessarily, but it's it's one of those hindsight's 2020 things. Mm -hmm. Instead of promoting people at any cost to come in and fix a, a downtown building and saying, yes. A 10,000 square foot loft is great if two people live in it. And that's fine. It's their money. They're welcome to do with it as they please. But if the city puts in any money, instead of saying a 10,000 square foot loft is great, maybe we should say, we're going to encourage you to do a 3,000 square foot loft. And the other 7,000 square feet break up into 12 apartments. Because that 10,000 square feet is being occupied by two people who won't spend necessarily any more money downtown than two people who live in an apartment across the street in a thousand square feet. So you go from having two people living in 10,000 square feet to 20 people living in 10,000 square feet. All of a sudden you've increased the amount of money that people are going to spend downtown by almost 2000%. That's incredible. It's good math, man. Well, in fact, again, according to this article uh, with uh, Wayne in there, Wayne made a great point and it's true. Millennials don't stay home. No, they are, they are, you know, going to, the Swift and Finches or the Beer Gardens or whatever it was. I mean, wherever it is, the little restaurants, recreation, dog parks, whatever it is, these folks are mobile. Yes. So you don't really need the massive, you know, 2,700, 3,000 square foot no. house. Mm -mm. The, the smaller is better because they're there to sleep, wash clothes, maybe eat a meal and hit the road. That's right. And the, and the interesting thing that did come out of the housing summit, the, a statistic that I was not familiar with and probably wouldn't on a one-to-one -one ratio apply to Rome, but is going to get really interesting and maybe pretty close to that number by 2030. That's only 10 years. Um, by 2030, uh, I'm still stuck in 2003. By 2030, 83% um, of the households will not have children. Really? Yeah. Wow. 83%. That is amazing. So these houses that are 3,000 square feet, there's no need for them. 
right? So I better sell mine now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, but it, it's it's going to be an interesting dilemma. And like I said, I don't think it's a one-to-one ratio that will apply to Rome necessarily. It's certainly going to apply to places like Midtown and Buckhead and things like that, more more densely populated areas. But we have to think that millennials think differently, which mm-hmm. is fantastic. Gen Z thinks even more differently than they do. And so that's our workforce. And the next 10 years, baby boomers are statistically out of the workforce. We're trying. Right, I know. <laughs> I know. I know right? and Gen X gets pretty close to getting towards starting to get out of that. Right. And and so you're left with millennials and Gen Z. And if they don't want children, that's absolutely up to them. And if we don't have a housing, you know, a housing network to to accommodate that and accommodate what they want and how they want to live, then we lose talent. And if we don't have talent, how do we get nurses and doctors to take care of the people in the retirement homes? How do we get, you know, how do we get engineers to to fix our infrastructure? How do we get architects to design our houses? How do we get IT people to fix somebody's computers? It's not just it's not just one thing. It work, It all works together. But there's some fundamentals that you have to tackle or it doesn't work at all. You know, it's funny. We're talking a lot about millennials, about trends and that kind of stuff. Folks, we, we speak, we, uh, Mark, I should say, knows what he speaks of because, again, our producer here, Todd, is sitting here. A lot of nodding going on from Todd. And Todd, <laughs> you're all 30 years old, right? Exactly. So, But no, good, good excellent points there and all. Fascinating stuff, and and it's and it's one thing, Mark. I mean, when you ran your campaign, now that you're in city commission, you've had the big retreat, that kind of good stuff. You are you are basically you are acting on what you talked about in the campaign, and it's visionary stuff. Final question for you: We are a community, and folks, I've been here for 18 years almost now, so I am a Roman or a Floyd County. I live just outside the city limits. Sure. How do we bring the rest of the community into this line of thinking? I'm not saying we got to go out there and twist any arm, this kind of stuff. But there are a lot of folks that like the way things are right now. Sure. But then again, they're my age, 65 and older, and it's kind of like, you know, we got to make room for the new folks. folks. we got to make sure there's somebody here behind us, so to speak. Right. Well, it's not just – and I'll, I'll go back to – it's not that recruiting talent, young talent, is only – for they themselves like it's it doesn't sure it helps millennials if we can get them here right i mean that that's a good thing for them but the rest of us need them to survive we don't survive if we don't get young people here that's just as simple that's as simple as pick any industry you want to just pull one out of the hat manufacturing tourism um marketing you know construction just any industry that you can't move forward as an industry. Teachers, police officers, firefighters, sure. right? Ditch diggers. You cannot, you cannot function if you don't have young people. And if we have to have young people here, and if it's too expensive because of our land development code or any other number of reasons for people to build houses for millennials to live in, and if we don't have the things, cool things for them to do, because like you said, they don't stay in their house. They're out running on trails. They're out kayaking. They're out doing, you know, eating at nice restaurants. They're out in bars interacting. They're out at coffee shops. If we don't have those things to do and a place for them to live, 
the jobs isn't secondary, but it's pretty darn close, right? Because the theory is, or at least currently, and nobody really knows how Gen Z is going to act yet, but they kind of are trending to act kind of like millennials in this sense. They will find a city and move there and then find a job. That's the crux of the argument that is so hard for people to comprehend because even Gen Xers like me, it's like, I'm, I'm not moving to Seattle if I don't have a job. That's ridiculous. They don't care. Oh, I- Seattle is a cool place, right? Austin is a cool place. All these other cities are, are Chattanooga is a cool place. I know that if I go there, I'll have somewhere to live and granted it'll be expensive and I'll have great things to do. And that's, you know, those two things, it's like, oh, that's awesome. I'll find a job. Well, They're not worried about finding a job. Our nephew did that when moving to San Francisco. He was a computer tech guy. Um, he said there was for every job in Atlanta, there was a hundred jobs out in San Francisco area. And I tell you what, I mean, he when he he's changed jobs probably seven times. Mm-hmm. Not mm-hmm. that he's asking them. People recruit them. Yeah. I mean, yeah. because of the opportunities out there. And yeah, it's higher cost of living. But you know what else? Higher cost of living usually comes with higher salaries as well. Right, sure. And this young man's nailing it. So yeah. I mean, he's doing bits. Opportunities are there for sure. Mark, as always, we appreciate it. Great foresight, great insight. We'll be talking a lot more about a lot of this stuff coming up as well. Uh, very quickly, if anybody has any questions for you, what's the best way for folks to reach you? Sure. So you can email me at, I now have a city email, uh, mcochran, C-O-C-H-R-N, at romega.us. Or then call me on my cell phone, 706-512-6312. And Give me a modest. ring, shoot me a text message, yeah. Never mentioned also Sevian Design? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's uh, we're having fun. We're having Good. fun doing that, Good. you know, for sure. But you can reach them there as well. as For sure, absolutely. Well, and, and, you know, I can't – I would be remiss to say that um, all these ideas are my own. They're not. Um, certainly Jim Bojo and Bonnie Askew and Wendy Davis have, have you know – when Bonnie and Jim were running, they were they were saying the same thing, and Wendy's been touting this for a long time. And you know, it, I would also be remiss to say that keeping the city of Rome stable for all these years was not an easy task. Oh no! So the current commissioners that are there are to be applauded for 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 sure. And um, it's just times are different, and we need to change. And I think I think we're we're at the cusp of of really doing that. It's just it's going to be interesting to see what comes down. No, the road. it's very exciting. I can't think of a more exciting time to be living here. And I'm not Mr. Ra Ra, you know that. Sure, but I mean, there's some cool things happening here, and it's be kind of fun to watch them as well. Mark, as always, thanks for your thank time. You. Todd, yeah. thank you as thanks, always, Todd. making this stuff sound good. Again, uh, continuing updates for you on our websites. Combine see us hometownheadlines.com, the Hometown Headlines Podcast Network, expanding more and more. We thank you for your time today. Have a great day in Northwest Georgia.